0: this is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks from The Voice of Leadership, and Dr. Karen speaks leadership. And today, I am talking about meaningful work. In the United States, when we celebrate Labor Day, we're actually taking a rest and a pause from our work. And it's also a really good time to think about what is true meaningful work. And I want to talk about that from a biblical perspective. So first of all, meaningful work we want to understand is led by God. It's also covered by the promises of God so that in the Lord's prayer, which Jesus gave us a model prayer for his disciples when they said, teach us to pray. There's a line in that model prayer that says, thy will be done on earth As it is in heaven. So we know that God's will is being done in heaven every day. And we are here on earth to also be participators in making sure that his work is also done on earth. We are his vessels for that purpose. So when we're talking about meaningful work, number one, that meaningful work serves God's purposes. We have to remember that God does have a plan. It's a big plan. It's a big plan for how he plans to operate here on earth, as well as throughout the entire universe and beyond in the heavens for the temporal time period and also into eternity. So when our work serves God's purposes, that's meaningful work. And God's plan is for the world. It's for you and it's for other people. So we are at our best when we align ourselves with God's plan, even when we can't imagine that where we are now or our present circumstances could possibly be related to God's plan. Keep in mind, he lets us know very often that we are on track because of the way in which He gives us his presence no matter what we're going through. So if you'll remember that Joseph, when he was sold into slavery, Egyptian slavery, and then he was imprisoned and so on and and falsely accused, I'm sure as he thought about God's earlier vision to him, the vision where the sun, moon, and the stars Were bowing down to him, which seemed like a position of honor that his father interpreted meant, what, you mean your mother and I are also going to be bowing down to you? And that vision, how could that possibly relate to slavery? How could it possibly relate to being falsely accused of wrongdoing and then being imprisoned for an extended period of time? So in our natural eyes, we can't always see how God uses these very challenging and difficult circumstances in our lives. However, in Joseph's case, God gave him that vision and it was still real. God still planned to carry out that promise, if you will, and that vision for Joseph's life. And I want you to know that when he was enslaved and he was in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's house was blessed because of his presence. The work that he was doing in Potiphar's house was useful not only just for God's ultimate plan, but even for Potiphar, what his plans were in the natural. So God's presence was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. God's presence was with Joseph in the prison. And the scriptures tell us that he excelled above anyone else. And then ultimately, he was like the top prisoner in the prison while he was there. And of course, when he went to Pharaoh's house, he was second only to Pharaoh. So God's presence is what sustained him and helped him to stay on mission. And later, when he was talking to his brothers and he said to them, I know you sold me into slavery for an evil purpose. He goes on to say, but what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So no matter what your work circumstances are, God is fulfilling a bigger plan for the world, for all eternity, and for your life and those who are around you, no matter what you're going through. Likewise, God made a promise to Abraham that he was going to raise up children to Abraham that would be so numerous They would be greater than the sands on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And he also told him that he would take them to a very special land, a land that he was going to show them, and this land was going to be their land. So imagine that after coming out of Egyptian slavery, imagine that after wandering through the desert for 40 years, and imagine Moses even has died, and they are still outside of the promised land, yet God still has a plan, and he will fulfill his promise and his purpose, so he now commissions Joshua to take over where Moses had left off, and as Joshua is taking over, and remember, Joshua had been what we would call Moses' assistant, and God was moving him from that role to the role that Moses had which was the servant of God and that's what Joshua also would be called was the servant of God and so he told him he said you know be courageous be strong don't be afraid because as I was with Moses so I will be with you and that promise of God's presence is so important to success and he says to Joshua Joshua that he's going to be with him wherever he goes. So there's God's presence again in the midst of rolling out his purpose and his plan and in view of a promise that was made long, long years ago. And at that point still had not fully been fulfilled. And we also can think about Gideon when he was called out by God and the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and The Israelites were suffering at that time at the hands of the Midianites, their enemies. And the Midianites, as soon as they would harvest a crop or get anything good, they would come down and they would take it all. So when the angel of the Lord runs into Gideon, he's now in the wine press and he's threshing his wheat there so that the Midianites won't see it, won't come down and take every morsel of food that they have to eat. So he's kind of in hiding, if you will. And trying to make it and trying to survive. And the angel of the Lord calls him Mighty Man of Valor, which he certainly wasn't seeing at the time, but that's what he was called. And so God calls him to deliver his people from the Midianites. But God has determined this is his plan, his purpose, and he will get the glory for doing it. So he whittles down joshua's army from thousands to only 300 men and they're going up against 135,000 midianites so you know if they win that battle the battle was truly the lord's battle it wasn't anything that we could win on our own in the natural and so we find that god is letting gideon know i'm with you I'm leading you, I'm guiding you, you will be successful. And we know the story of how Gideon put out all kinds of fleeces. He says, oh, let the water fall on the fleece and the ground be dry. Let the water fall on the ground and the fleece be dry. All kinds of ways to make sure that God was really speaking to him and that he really was supposed to engage in this difficult mission. Similarly, God gave him a picture of what was happening In the Midianite camp where he overheard them understanding and knowing that God was revealing even to Gideon all the battle plans that they were setting up and putting in motion. So they knew, the Midianites knew, that they were defeated, if you will, before God. This gave Gideon additional courage. So again, wherever God is sending you, whatever his purpose is, is for greater than what you can see in front of you. His presence will sustain you. He will go with you and i think back to i'm remembering joseph and mary as jewish people they knew that god had promised a messiah they certainly weren't thinking that messiah was going to come through them it was the farthest thing from their minds and so here's joseph a godly man he knows that mary is a godly woman they are betrothed to be married and suddenly mary shows up pregnant And Joseph knows this is not my baby. I haven't touched her. I don't have anything to do with this. What am I going to do? And so the angel of God appears to both Mary and then later to Joseph and lets them know, no, this is my plan. Mary is pregnant because of being overshadowed and touched by the Holy Spirit of God. This has nothing to do with man. Man is not involved, and Joseph, you're not involved as the father in that sense. However, I want you to be a father to this baby. And what's interesting is that while they were going through this difficult season, and you can imagine the ridicule they must have experienced with this pregnancy outside of wedlock, and those who may have been aware, Joseph not being the father of this baby what a scandal that would have been and yet god sends them encouragement along the way at every turn even when mary went to visit her cousin elizabeth who was pregnant in her old age with john the baptist who would be the forerunner of jesus when elizabeth saw mary the baby in her womb john the baptist leaped for joy That was also God's way of letting Mary know, this is from me. I have you covered. And similarly, later on, as Joseph and Mary were living their lives, God would appear to Joseph periodically and say, take the child and his mother, go down to Egypt, because there are those here who are seeking to kill him, and I want you to protect them. Or he would tell him, to um, come now out of Egypt because those who were seeking the life of the child are now gone. They're now dead. They're now deceased. So God was leading Joseph all along every step of the way. So when we're on God's mission, on God's purpose, he is there with his presence. He's there with his guidance and his direction, his instructions, and he sends people to encourage us along the way and to let us know that we are on the right track just as when mary and joseph went to the temple to dedicate jesus after he had been circumcised on the eighth day and fulfilled all the requirements of the law god had him to be met by simeon and anna who were waiting to see god's promise god's messiah and simeon told him that this was now the consolation of the lord He had been waiting to see the consolation of the Lord, and now he could die in peace. He could go on his way now that he had seen God's salvation, and he prophesied to Mary and Joseph about what life would be like for them, and it was not an easy road. It was going to be a tough road, a hard road, where a sword would pierce even through to them as well, and people would reject Jesus nevertheless. This was God's Messiah. This was God's plan. Also, number two about this whole thing is when work is meaningful, it does benefit other people. It serves others both now and later. I mentioned Joseph serving in Potiphar's house and how his house was fully blessed the whole time that Joseph was down there, how that the prison was even blessed when Joseph was in it. And clearly we know when he got to Pharaoh's house, And he was in charge of saving up all the food for these years of plenty to be ready for the famine. He was making wise choices and wise decisions because God was directing him and leading him. And Pharaoh understood that his country, his household was blessed because of Joseph. And so he told people, Do whatever it is that Joseph tells you to do. So all the people, that he was serving, even though he is still technically a slave, his work benefited other people. We also find that when Joshua was leading the children of Israel into the promised land, again, they had a very tough assignment as well because they had to fight. They had to go into battles and wars, but God promised them that they would triumph over their enemies, that they would indeed be given this promised land even though they had to fight for it he was there with them his presence was with them and as Moses said known from his days of leading he didn't want to go anywhere without the presence of the Lord without the favor of the Lord without the leading guidance and direction so as the people entered the promised land and then Joshua parceled out who would be in what parts, who was going where the people in the now, the people in the short term benefited from being in this land that was a land of milk and honey, of God's great provision. And them entering the promised land also created the environment that God seed that would lead to his Messiah and bless the entire world, all the nations of the earth who would be blessed through Abraham for all those who would have faith in God and the promises that God made to Abraham and for this coming Messiah. So we find that people had physical rest back at that time in Joshua's day, and ultimately we will have true spiritual rest for eternity. And we have spiritual rest through the Messiah now, and we'll have physical spiritual rest for eternity when we are later With God in heaven. So the benefits are for the near term and also for the far and long term as well. So that's number two. When you're doing meaningful work, it benefits yourself, others for now and for later. And number three, when the work is meaningful, it is suited to your God given gifts and talents. And we find then God is calling Gideon. And he referred to him as a mighty man of valor. Gideon didn't see himself as a mighty man of valor. But what God knew is that he was in fact going to fill him with his spirit and he would have all the valor and might that he needed. So God had a promise that he was making, if you will, to Gideon. And he would indeed be the mighty man of valor that God called him to be. And just remembering back to King Saul, when he was anointed to be king and God had chosen him, even though God wasn't pleased with the fact that the people wanted a king, he sent Saul to be anointed. He sent Saul to go down into the company of the prophets and God filled Saul with his Holy Spirit so that even Saul was prophesying with the prophets and people were amazed what's happening here? Because he was being given all that he needed for the job of king. And that's what God does with us today. He gives us all that we need for the job of king. And with Joseph and Mary, he gave Joseph everything he needed to be a proper husband for Mary, to be a provider for Mary and for Jesus, and to be a protector to them. And we know that the great and true protector was God himself. So God sees in us what he puts in us, whether that's the mighty man of valor or whatever it is that he's called you to be. And the job he gives you is one that you can do in his power and in his strength. Now we know that some of these jobs are not easy that God calls us to. And so God knowing that as well, he said to us that do everything as unto the Lord because He understood that we were going to be serving some harsh taskmasters. We were going to serve some people who were evil. And in some cases, we might even be enslaved in some periods of history, just as Joseph was enslaved in Egypt at that particular point in time. So it can be hard to work under those conditions. You're overworked, you might be beaten. All kinds of challenges and hardships and difficulties. So in Colossians 3 verses 22 and 23, we hear this said, bond servants. Now those are people who are serving someone under difficult circumstances. Not just they're getting a great salary or whatever. They may have to sell themselves into a period of time of indentured servitude. Or they may be slaves or whatever. And so it's bond servants. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Now, mind you, these people are only masters according to the flesh or in this human body. No one is our master, really, when you think about it in spiritual terms, because only God is the master in that sense and we belong to him. So he says, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. So don't just look like you're doing the right thing. Don't just please these men because you're pleasing them. Do things sincerely. Really serve them well. And then he says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus. So no matter how hard our job or whatever the work is, what makes it meaningful? is that we are really serving God himself through whatever work it is that we're doing on the earth. And that's a very important thing to remember. And then number five is the concept that I would say is just the privilege and the opportunity to participate with God in his work and to come alongside God as God is doing a great work. He's inviting us to join him. And I've always loved. The series called Experiencing God by Henry and Henry Blackaby and others in the Blackaby a family, where they talk about this concept of us being called alongside God to do work with Him. If I think about Jesus particularly and His example, Jesus knew that He was here to do the will of His Father, and He knew that. God had already had a grand revelation through his word, the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures that were already in existence at the time. And Jesus was well versed with those Hebrew scriptures. He knew what they were. And even at 12 years old, when he was in the temple, he really amazed the the temple leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, and those in the temple because of his knowledge and learning and his ability even at 12 to speak with a kind of knowledge and authority that was rarely seen. So in Jesus' example, he was well acquainted with God's revelation through the scripture. Secondly, he knew God's specific instructions for him through prayer. So many times we read of Jesus going up into the mountains, going out into a desert place alone where he could be with God the Father and be strengthened for that day's work strengthened for whatever God had for him to do at that time and then we also find that before he started the earthly ministry that was public John the Baptist baptized him in the water and as he came up out of the water God's voice spoke and talked about him being his beloved son for people to hear him but God's presence also landed on him in the form of a dove which was the spirit of God descending on him because at that time he was completely he would be filled for what God had in mind for him to do while he was in his earthly incarnation. So yes, we do have that privilege to serve with God alongside God according to what he's doing on the earth just as Jesus had a mission as well. And as I already mentioned when mary and joseph were at the temple god gave them additional revelation about what to expect in their lives and that was through simeon and also through anna who were a prophet and prophetess who were in the temple who heard from god every day and they had something to pour into jesus and in fact i think i will just read that because i think that's going to be most helpful If we read a little bit of it. So that's Luke, the second chapter, starting with verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child, destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So a child, this child, is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. So that was the prophecy over him. So when we're doing God's work, he does give us additional revelation as well about what's happening and about what he is doing. And let's just remember, God's way is not always easy. That description did not say it was going to be an easy or smooth path. It was a tough road that they would embark on at the time, Joseph and Mary. And yet, when we are following God, even though we have opposition, that road is, even though tough, is fruitful in God. It's not an unfruitful path at all. And we find then... If we look at the Apostle Paul, before his name was changed from Saul to Paul, and before he became an Apostle, he believed in God. He was zealous for the name of God. He believed what the Scripture said, there's only one God, and worship that one God. He believed all of that. He also believed that God was sending a Messiah. He just didn't believe that Jesus was that Messiah. So when Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road, and he said to him, you know, how hard it is for you, so to kick against the pricks. And of course, in that land of agriculture and raising animals, when you were trying to get an ox to move in the right way, in the right direction, you would use this prick so that if he got off track, you would kind of poke him and he would feel that poke, get back in line and do the right thing. And if the ox happened to rebel and kick against the prick, The prick would harm him all the more. So basically Jesus is saying to Saul, you're harming yourself kicking against me because I am the Messiah and this is not in your best interest. And when Saul realized that this really was Jesus of Nazareth, that he really was the Messiah of God, then he submitted himself to direction from Jesus and asked what should he do? And then Jesus gave him further instructions. So, in a sense, he was being warned, don't be like your forefather, King Saul, who had been instructed, wait for Samuel to come and to offer the sacrifice for the day before you do anything. And when Samuel seemed to take a long time, Saul took it in his hands to offer the sacrifice, but he was not the priest and he was not authorized to offer the sacrifice. So, he was fell out of favor then. And then later on, when he was supposed to capture and kill all the people and dedicate all the spoils to God by destroying it all, he didn't do it. Oh, what a pronouncement was placed against his life because of that. So we find King Saul rebelling, 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 till finally God takes his Holy Spirit from King Saul. And then he was tormented by a demonic spirit. And he no longer had the power of the Holy Spirit or the guidance and direction. And then we find him going after the anointed servant of God, David, who would ultimately be king in his place. And he tried over and over again to kill David. So it's so important that we stay in the will of God, doing the work that he's called us to do and doing it in the way that he's called us to do it so that. God's presence remains with us and his favor remains with us. So some questions you should ask yourself in these situations is, Lord God, what is your plan and purpose? What is the big picture? Number two, what assignment do you have for me in this purpose? What is my assignment? Number three, how am I to serve you? in this place right now, where I am in my life. And keep in mind, he may have you in one place and move you to another place. But where you are now, the question is, Lord, how am I to serve you here? And number four, daily report for duty and prayer and ask God to lead you and guide you to tell you what you are to do that day for your assignment And number five, ask God to lead, guide, direct, and empower you. And as I said earlier, Moses wisely didn't want to go anywhere if God wasn't with him. So these five areas that are important for meaningful work is number one, it serves God's purposes, his bigger purposes. Number two, it benefits and serves you, others, and it serves them for now and for later because you're part of god's grand big plan and though you may only fulfill a small piece of it it is an important piece in the overall scheme of things number three meaningful work is suited to the gifts and talents that god has given you including new things that he will build into you because of the assignment that he's given you and then number four Do our work as unto the Lord for his glory and his purposes. For we are his servants. We are his servants if we do our work as unto the Lord. Even if it's menial work, it is meaningful work. And then number five, join God wherever he is working. Participate with him as he is working and fulfilling his purpose on the earth. And just a reminder going back to Gideon for a second God had to remind Gideon in Judges the 6th chapter verse 14 he says go have I not sent you and then Judges 634 gives us the picture of how the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon so that he was prepared for all the work that God had in mind for him to do and for God to do through him So I want to read today as we close some words from Jesus himself when he was talking about the work that he was doing. Jesus was about to heal a blind man. He was going to restore the blind man's sight. And so in John 9, starting with verse 4, and the people had been asking about, you know, why is this man blind and You know, did his parents sin and so on? And Jesus said, no, this man is blind so that the full glory of God can be displayed in him, because I'm getting ready to do something great. And I want you to see what it is. And he says in verse four, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus had a limited time on the earth in his physical form in the incarnation. And there was work to do in showing us as people who God really was, manifesting the fullness of who God was, was his mission and showing the power of God through all of these miracles that no one could do except the Messiah of God, healing blind people so they could see healing the deaf so that they could hear so many things that he was doing to testify of the power of God. So when we think about it, we can only do our work while it is day. When we die and when we leave this earth, our work here is finished. So while it is day, work as unto the Lord. Seek his face and counsel for the grander picture of what he's doing And the picture of what you are to do in that grander picture. And when your work serves the greater purposes of God, that is the most meaningful work you can do. Even if the task is menial, it is important to God's ultimate purpose, plan, and mission on the earth. So go joyfully today as you do your work as unto the Lord. Hi, it's Dr. Karen here, and I want to tell you about my book, which is called Lead Yourself First, the Senior Leader's Guide to Engaging Your People for Greater Performance and Impact. It's a book to inspire you about the challenges that you have overcome and the vision that you've realized in your life. It's from these struggles, triumphs and temporary setbacks that others will be inspired and that they will have the courage to lead themselves first and also to lead others in the first chapter which is called envision the future i talk about the rocky education path that i had to forge and overcome to realize my vision become a psychologist and that was all the way from elementary school straight through graduate school there were obstacles the path wasn't easy and yet entering graduate school with only thirty dollars in the bank i ended up finishing graduate school with no debts when you walk step by step in the vision even when it doesn't look like where you want to be doors open and resources come to you because you hold the vision and you keep walking. So here's what I wanted to say to you. Lead yourself first. This book will walk you through your journey as you go through the open doors and as you continue to walk, just like I walk through mine. So get your copy of Lead Yourself First. Hold the vision for yourself and your life and be successful. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening, and remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.